And good afternoon, Pittsburgh Steelers fans, and welcome to another edition of Steelers Brunch with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Defio, and thank you, as always, for joining me on this very fine and lovely and, as always, hot Saturday afternoon. And before I get started, I just wanted to encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We have at least one podcast a day, such as this one. Sometimes there's two a day, sometimes three. We have The Standard is the Standard, hosted by Dave Schofield, the Behind the Store Curtain editor. Michael Beck's in there, the deputy editor, and then, and Brian Anthony Davis is on there sometimes, uh, Lance D- Lance Williams. And of course, there's Yeah, I Said It, hosted by Lance Williams every Friday. There is the Steelers Preview, hosted by uh, Dave, Brian, Michael, Lance, there is Steelers, the Stat Geek, hosted by Dave and his big brother, Big Bro Sco. There's Steelers Q&A, hosted by yours truly and Brian Anthony Davis every Monday at 5. That's in the offseason. And as of late, following Steelers Q&A, there's the, the Steelers Retro Show, where we talk about Steelers things from the past. And, and I'm really enjoying the uh, that show so far. It's really one of my, as I keep saying, one of my favorite things. And, of course, in the regular season, the Steelers Q&A is called Steelers Hangover, where Brian and I discuss the previous day's Steelers game. And thank you all for joining me in the live chat. There's Kathy Forrid, Sean Manahan, Reed Overand, Justin Conway, Ryan O'Toole, Jared Devil, some familiar faces, and I... Thank you all for joining me and, and whoever else decides to join throughout the uh, next 30 to 45 minutes or so. I look forward to talking to you and sharing with you some Steelers news. And speaking of the latest Steelers game, it looks like it's going to be when is the first game, the 13th or 14th of September. So it looks like they, there will be a, a uh, full regular season and a full training camp because on Friday, it was it was reported that the the NFLPA and the NFL owners had come to an agreement that they had reached an agreement on a deal that will allow them to have a a safe and and in uh, full training camp and a full regular season. Well, as safe as you can be amid a pandemic, but that's what the the whole point was. As recently as last weekend, many NFL players, including J.J. Watt and even Terrell Edmonds were pretty vocal on social media about the uncertainty surrounding the start start of training camp because there were so many things that ha- that had yet to be ironed out, such as you know testing, would players be allowed to opt out? Uh, what, what happens if if a, if a player is tested positive, et cetera, et cetera? And there was concern that that training camp, <clears throat> excuse me, training camp wouldn't start on time, and it would obviously compromise the start of the regular season where there'd be 12 games, 14 games, 16 games. Well, now it looks like there will be a full season. I mean, it's not official yet. Uh, I think the, it was, it was approved. It was voted on by the, the player reps, the team reps, but it still has to be ratified with a vote by the, the, the union, the rank and file, the players. So it's, it's expected to pass. So if it does pass, then, that's good news if you were wondering if the beginning of the 2020 NFL season would be compromised, would be shortened, would be delayed, 
postponed or, or even canceled. You just never know in, in a, at a time like this, which is totally unprecedented. But I'm actually excited about it. And it's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting training camp because how, how it's going to go is obviously there are no preseason games that was made official with this new agreement. There are going to be no preseason games. And when the players do report, which all players, all veterans are, are expected to report by the 28th, when players do report, they're going to have a, I think, a 21-day ramp-up period where they, they, they get tested and, and, and multiple times. And, 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 of course, there's going to be a strength and conditioning period before they even begin practicing in pads, which I, you know, all, all this information is all over the place. And, and it's hard to really, you know, this is unprecedented for me, too, because I'm, I'm used to a regular offseason. So when I, I tried to read this, all this information as much as possible yesterday and today to get prepared for the show. And I still don't quite understand everything, but it looks like uh, the players will be, will begin scrimmage. You're not scrimmaging, begin practicing in pads as by the middle of August, third week in August, somewhere in there. And they will do so up until the start of uh, the regular season. And uh, that's going to be a, a, a twist, a wrinkle that we've never seen before. Uh, for an NFL training camp and for the start of an NFL season. And uh, uh, some of the, uh, some of the changes uh, rosters, training camp rosters will, will go from 90 to 80. So obviously that's going to, that's going to affect so many uh, uh, players that, that are, that could have put on the bubble to make it, could have made a name for themselves and, and, and stuck onto a roster. Uh, so uh, that's going to affect that. But, the, the good news for them is the practice squad for at least for 2020 has been expanded to 16 players instead. I think it was 10. I'm not exactly sure how many were before. Maybe somebody can answer that in the uh, live chat, but um, it's going to be harder for, for like we, like we've been talking about all summer. It's going to be harder for fringe players or play, like undrafted free agents, maybe late round draft picks, maybe guys that were on the bubble that would have been on the bubble anyway, such as a guy like Derwin, uh, uh, Derwin Gray. It's going to be harder for those guys to make the team because there's just not going to be enough uh, enough of a chance for them to shine and, and, and show what they can do. But the good news is uh, Mike Tomlin has said, and I've, I've repeated this several times, Mike Tomlin has said in the past that what those guys do on the in, at a training camp, on, on, the, on the practice fields at Latrobe, this year Heinz Field, will uh, impacts their chances of making the team just as much as what they do in the preseason. So... You know, you, you can look at it several different ways. You can look at it that way, and you can also look at it as far as how ready will the team be, how ready will these veterans be for the regular season. Well, how how much the veterans play in the preseason anyway? You know, Ben certainly hardly ever plays. He plays usually a what two or three series in a preseason. And as far as the uh, the the other star players like a Juju or a James Conner, the offensive linemen, the veterans along the line, uh, even defensive players, they don't they don't play as much as as uh, they would if they were younger. They don't, you know, the, the, usually preseason games are, are reserved for the for the backups and the uh, the guys that are trying to make a roster. So uh, I don't know how, how much it's going to affect them not having a preseason, but it's certainly going to be different, you know, with, with this with this uh, two or three week ramp up period where you're where you're at Heinz Field every day uh, and not actually practicing and you're just you're just testing for the coronavirus and and uh, you're doing strength and conditioning drills, that kind of thing, or I should say, strength and conditioning training, not drills, training. 
that's, that's going to be different. And then, you know, you're just going to practice all the way up until the start of the regular season. So it's going to be different. And, and as, as I've said before, uh, the teams that, that thrive in this environment this year are probably going to be the ones that, that don't, as Mike Tomlin likes to say, that don't blink in the face of adversity. And Mike Tomlin has a pretty good history of, of never, of uh, always doing a really good job at times when maybe his team could very easily mail it in. You know, we've seen that in the past as recently as last year when you, when you, they lost big Ben in the second game and they still managed to, to stay in the playoff hunt all the way until the, the final moments of the last regular season game. So I think it, it maybe the best, this might be the, the year where the best teams don't necessarily win or, or contend for the playoffs, but the teams that are able to, to, uh, keep forging ahead in the face of adversity. So that's, that's what, what it means for, uh, that's what we're talking about when it comes to, to the, the, this new agreement. But um, the, the, I guess the good news, if you're a Steeler fan, even though, even though they've, they've missed the playoffs the last two years is it doesn't look like there's very many starting positions up for grabs, which is, I guess that's good when, when you're dealing with a training camp that such as this one, that's totally unprecedented. Precedented. I mean, there's the right tackle spot between Zach Banner and Shooks Accor for that's up for grabs. But even if uh, even if neither guy uh, seizes the moment, you, st- you have the insurance policy of, of uh, Matt Filer, who has been your starting right tackle the last two years. He could very easily slide right back over to right tackle, and then you have Stefan Wisniewski, the veteran free agent signing. I mean, they want him to be the the uh, the versatile backup, the guy that can play center and guard. But if he has to, he could probably uh, jump in and start at least until maybe Kevin Dotson, your fourth round pick out of Louisiana. Maybe he he makes a big leap this year and 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 uh, is on the details by the end of the year and maybe can win that starting job or, or get thrust into the starting role by the end of the year. I mean, it's a long shot. But my point is there aren't very many starting jobs up for grabs. I don't think there are any other than that one I just mentioned. I mean, you're pretty solid along the rest of the offensive line provided Banner and uh, Akua for provided one of them wins 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 the right tackle spot. And of course, James Conner is your starting running back. Juju is your number one receiver. And as far as who's number two and three, I think that's pretty interchangeable between Deontay Johnson and James Washington. And of course, you have Clay, Chase Claypool who, who he's a rookie, so he's you know he looks impressive on on tape, but he's, he's unproven. So it's hard to really factor him in at this point, especially with the, everything I've discussed with training camp and how that's going to be different. And the fact there, there have been no, no OTAs, no rookie camp, no mini camp up to this point. Uh, of course, the defense is, is, is fairly well set. You know, there's, I guess there's the matter of, of finding a new nose tackle, a new starting nose tackle to replace Javon Hargrave. But again, as we've talked about many times, how often do they, do they, are they in their base defense where they're going to need the, uh, the, the nose tackle in there? Like I, I'm not an expert on that kind of thing, but I do know that they only play their, their three, four base defense, like a third of the time over the last couple of years. That's what, that's what the numbers have been. So I don't know how important that is. You know, I mean, we know who this, we know who's starting in the secondary. We know who's starting at linebacker, you know, and, and again, other than nose tackle, it's, it's, there really isn't anything, um, to determine there on, on, on the defensive line, uh, switching back over to offense, you know, I think Vance McDonald's is established as your number one tight end and Eric Ebron is your number two. 
and a, a major upgrade over over Jesse James from a couple years ago, and certainly last year. So um, that's one that's one good thing they have going for them. Even though, again, even though they missed the playoffs the last two years, uh, and and sometimes teams in that position have a lot of starting uh, spots up for grabs. But in a year when you want to get when you want to kind of know what your roster looks like, you know, amid a pandemic, I think they're in pretty good shape. Doesn't mean they're going to contend. Doesn't mean they're going to be very, very good. But I, I tend to think they are going to be pretty good because I think this, this has a chance to be a, a one of the more complete teams that they've had in a while. Provided Big Ben is the old Big Ben. I've talked about that before. And you know, they might not have the offense that they had in in the mid 2010s with with Brown and Bell and Ben, the killer bees in that offensive line. But I think overall. This is a, a, a this could, this, they have a chance to have, have their most complete team since I think 2010 when they went last time they went to the Super Bowl. So that's my first topic. That's, uh, it's, it's going to be, actually, no, I'm not done with that yet. I'm not done. Yeah. I, I, I rehearsed this all in my head and I, I forgot one important thing. How's this going to affect 2021 and beyond? Uh, one of the interesting things that, that came out of the uh, latest agreement was a financial situation and that's to do with the, uh, the salary cap. It's not going to affect this year. It's expected to be 198 million. That's that's the salary cap for 2020. But since there's going to be a lot of revenue loss this year because there won't be fans in the stands for games, or there shouldn't be anyway. There there, there likely won't be. I should not. There shouldn't be. There likely won't be fans in the stands this season in 2020. It's going to be a major uh, revenue loss for the NFL. We've we've discussed that before. We've, we've written about that before. It's going to be billions of dollars. So how do you uh, how do you uh, make up for that? Well, you make up for that by lowering the salary cap, and it looks like it's going to be spread over the next few years, starting next year in 2021, when the cap's going to go. It's expected to go from 198 to 175, and the Steelers, who are always up against the cap to begin with, including this year, I mean they're going to they're going to be one of I think I read eight teams that are if it, if it were 175 right now, they'd be way over the cap. So that's going to have some huge ramifications for them starting next off season. I mean, what do you do about, obviously you're going to have to keep TJ. Watt. There's no way you let that guy walk, but what about cam? What about Minka? Do you just say, well, forget it. There's no way we can even try to sign a guy like Juju, you know, who's going to command provided he, he has the year that he provided he rebounds in 2020 and has the year that he had in 2018. He's going to command number one receiver money on the open market. You know, you can forget about even trying to, to to sign Bud, Bud Dupree. So, you know, and and they could have to cut several guys, you know, to get to get to get to be in compliance with the cap. So, you know, uh, yeah, it's great that there's football this year, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking for. I think we all need a sports break, especially those of us who who only have basic cable and and can't see baseball and basketball and hockey on a regular basis, like like yours truly. I. I'm really looking forward to watching some football, uh, but starting next year, it, it could be they might have to make some tough decisions a lot sooner than they, than they thought they would. You know, I think uh, before all this started back in March with the with the uh, pandemic, with the coronavirus pandemic, the projected salary cap was for 2021 was supposed to be like two 210 million, 215 million. So you shave what 35, 40 million dollars off of that. Uh, that projected total, and you sh- you shave twenty three million dollars off of it from 
2020, yikes, you know, what, what are they going to do? You know, obviously if Ben is still Ben, they're not going to get rid of him and he's a huge part of their salary cap. So I, I don't know, but it, it's, it's, again, it's great that they're, that they're moving forward with that, with a, a regular season, but we could be seeing the, uh, as fans of the NFL, we could be seeing the ramifications of, of the revenue loss from 2020 for many years to come. So It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out in the future, but that's for the future. That's just, you know, right now it's, 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 it's great that we'll have uh, a 2020 regular season to look forward to as of right now, you know, it's, it, these things are always day to day when you're, when you're dealing in unprecedented times, you just never know what tomorrow may bring. But, but I think this is a, a, a really great sign that the players and the owners have, have come together on and reached an agreement to move forward with the uh, 2020 regular season. So that's all I want to say about that. And like last week, I want to get into some controversial topics, but they're all about football. And that's one person, Antonio Brown, who temporarily announced his retirement on Monday because he was frustrated. Let's, let's be real. He was frustrated with the lack of progress in terms of uh, the NFL's investigation into his off the field activities, which have been, which are pretty bad, you know, sexual assault allegations, which he's currently uh, facing a lawsuit for. And, and the incident in Miami a couple of years ago when he was throwing furniture off the balcony, just really bad stuff. And, you know, just um, how, how he behaved in Oakland um, when, when, when he, when, when he was traded to the Raiders for a third and fifth pick uh, prior to last season, he got himself cut before the end of, before the end of training camp. Um, you know, he's just, he's just really in a bad way right now, as far as his personal life, or at least he, he was up until a few months ago, he's been pretty quiet recently up, up until he announcing his retirement on Monday, then changing his mind and saying he wants the NFL to, to hurry up with his investigate with the, with their investigation and, and kind of get it over with so he can move forward. But when he, you know, that brief period, when he did announce that he was going to retire on, on Twitter, it's it's it suddenly started a debate between fans and the media about whether or not Brown was a Hall of Famer and whether or not he was a better receiver than Heinz Ward and whether or not he was the best receiver in Steelers history. In my opinion, he was. I've said that many times. I, I I've been saying I said that even after I was even when I was pretty darn angry at the end of the 2018 season when everything that transpired the way it did with with him walking out of practice prior to Week 17 and Mike Tomlin deactivating him for that final game and him, I think, I guess he left, he left at halftime, you know, and then of course he got himself traded. He burned every bridge on the way out of town. He, you know, disrespected Ben, disrespected Mike Tomlin, just really bad mouthed them in the media and on social media. So I was pretty angry at the, even while at the time, but I was still willing to acknowledge that he was probably, in my opinion, the, the best receiver that they have ever had. So the question is, you know, does he is he going to go to the Hall of Fame? If his career, if he never plays another down, will he make it to the Hall of Fame? And I think he will. I mean, numbers be damned. You know, um, some players you don't you don't need numbers. You know, they transcend numbers. You just look at them and look at how they played and how they performed throughout their career, and you know that guy is a Hall of Famer, right? Like Troy Polamalu is a great example, as far as I'm concerned. Do we know Troy's stats? I mean, granted, he's a safety and. Uh, you don't know the stats of safeties like you do pass rushers and, of course, skill, skill position players. But 
when you watch, if you watch Troy play with the sound down, not knowing that the Steelers won two Super Bowls when he played and made it to a third, you would say that's a Hall of Fame football player, right? You know, like Dick Butkus, he never played on a playoff team with the Bears, but he was far and away a first ball. He was the best inside linebacker who ever lived up to that point in the history of the NFL. And there was no question he was the first ball Hall of Famer. So I think that's, that's how you have to judge certain players, you know, not about whether they won Super Bowls or their numbers. It's about when you watch them play, were they the premier player at their position over an extended period of time? And Troy was certainly that. And if you'll excuse me, I need my, my weekly 20-minute drink break. Ah, that's good stuff. Anyway, and by the way, that was still just Diet Pepsi. So don't worry. But uh, where was I? Uh, Antonio Brown, Hall of Fame. Does he deserve it? Yes, he deserves it. Uh, if, you want, if you want to look at a player like Troy, for example, he was truly dominant between 2004 and 2010. After that, he kind of sort of started going downhill a little bit. In the last few years that he was here, he was certainly the last year he was here. He, he was a shell of his former self, right? He just wasn't the player he was when he was a first team all pro and he won defensive player of the year in 2010. He had a, a six year period where he dominated and he was, an all, you could, you knew he was an all time great, strong safety. There was no question about it. And, and, and that's why he's in the hall of fame because of that, that stretch between 04 and 2010. That's why Troy Polamalu was voted a first team hall of fame football player because of that stretch. Me and Joe Green, believe it or not, is another example. Uh, between 69 and 75, that time frame, I mean, he was just an absolute dominant force, totally unblockable. You ask Andy Russell, they, they just, they had to hold him. I mean, the, the offensive lineman had to hold him in those days because he, he was just, essentially, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't block him one-on-one. -on -one. It was just impossible. But he suffered a, uh, a pinched nerve in his neck around like 76, I want to say. And he was still a good player the last four or five years of his career. Don't get me wrong. He was still making Pro Bowls and everything. And they obviously they won two Super Bowls in the late 70s. But he wasn't anywhere near the dominant player that he was over the first stretch of his, his career. So, I mean, you know, to, to say that a player doesn't deserve to get in because he only dominated for six years. I mean, that happens a lot in the NFL. I mean, there are a lot of players that had 10, 11-year careers. But only five or six of them were they at their, their, their most dominant, right? So I think from that standpoint alone, the fact that he was the premier receiver of his day, you know, in my opinion, that makes Antonio Brown a, a, a Hall of Fame player. Now, does he get on the first ballot? That's debatable. Again, I think just basically by, by watching how he performed during his prime, I think he was a first ballot player. But uh, football writers might look at it differently. I mean, here's a guy who, who, whose career might be over and it was all self-inflicted and they might not, they, uh, writers might not look at that with a uh, sympathetic eye. They might say, well, okay, this guy wasn't injured. This guy uh, wasn't cut. This guy didn't get sick or anything. He just, he was a jerk, which he was. There's no question about it. He was a diva and he was such a diva and he was such a problem off the field. By the end, player uh, teams just didn't want anything to do with him anymore. So he effectively sabotaged his own career. So we don't have any sympathy for him. So we're not going to vote for him. 
you know, I could very easily see writers doing that, especially when, you know, the first year that he's eligible, you know, they, they might say, we're not going to, we're not going to vote this guy in on, on his first try. Screw that. He didn't, he, he doesn't deserve that kind of honor. Okay. I get that. But to suggest that he should never be in, no, this guy's a hall of fame football player, regardless of, of, of his character. You know, remember there's no morality clause as far as I know, when it comes to voting for uh, the pro football hall of fame. So, uh, you know, that's not that that really shouldn't factor into it for these guys. I mean, it, obviously, it's probably going to, but it, you know, ultimately, if 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 they just judge him based on on the era in which he played, then I think eventually he's going to get in because Lynn Swan and John Stallworth were never the greatest receivers of their day. They were maybe the greatest receiving duo of their day, like a la Mark Clayton and Mark Duper. Although they were, I think they were better receivers than Clayton and Duper, but but they weren't, neither one of those guys was ever considered the best receiver of his day. They just, they performed great on, on the big stage. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, they, they, those guys just turned in legendary performances in the Super Bowl and in the playoffs. But let's be real. Uh, you know, back before either one of those guys got elected into the Hall of Fame, uh, Swan was 01 and Starworth was 02. You know, at the time, they those guys were were when it, when people talked about Swan and Starworth, they talked about them the way people talk about Heinz Ward today. That he was they were borderline uh, Hall of Famers at best. They didn't have the numbers, they didn't have the uh, the kind of careers, the dominant careers that that Hall of Fame that that warranted being elected to the Hall of Fame. You know, but eventually they got in. I think a lot of the reason why they did get in is because they were on arguably the greatest dynasty of all time. You know, I think that helped them. And the fact, again, that they performed well on on the big stage. You know, uh, a guy like Heinz Ward, it's unfortunate because I think he is. A, I think he's a Hall of Fame caliber player too. Um, but for whatever reason, he's he he he's being punished because of his 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 stats. You know, he didn't. You know, a guy like T.O. had 1,500 receptions. He had a thousand. Okay, so he's being punished for that. But also. In fairness to, to people who are who who don't who aren't voting for Heinz Ward to make it to the Hall of Fame, was he ever considered the premier receiver of his day when he played? No, he was he was one of the best. Of course, he was a Pro Bowl. He was an All Pro. He was certainly the best guy on the best receiver on the Steelers roster throughout the majority of his career here. But he was never considered one of the one of the greatest receivers of of his day ever. He just wasn't. He, you know, he wasn't one of the top one or two receivers of his era. So. Uh, yeah, writers are probably judging him on the stats, but I think more more than that, they're judging him on the fact that he was he wasn't the the dominant receiver of his day. I think that that's ultimately what's what what what's hurting Heinz Ward's chances of making it held. I think he'll get in eventually. I think he'll get in, you know, maybe like a Donnie Shell when he's much older, which might be unfortunate that a player has to wait that long to get in. But hey, you know when you're when you're a borderline, if you had a career that that that's borderline hall of fame worthy where, where you're in the discussion for that. I think you're, you, you had a pretty darn good career and it's hard to really feel sorry for, for a guy like that. But uh, back to, back to Antonio Brown uh, to sum that all up, his, his career transcended his Steeler career anyway, transcended stats and it transcended uh, Super Bowls and championships. Some players are just hall of fame players, regardless of their stats. And regardless of, of, of the, the, the team accomplishments, right? And I think Antonio Brown was one of those guys. 
And that brings me to my next point about Antonio Brown. And that's this notion that, that the Steelers didn't win because of Brown, that they, they failed to, to reach the, uh, the Holy Grail, so to speak, because of Antonio Brown, because he undermined them, so to speak, which I think is just, it's just silly because, first of all, he was such a dominant football player for them. He was, he was the perfect wide receiver. I mean, route running, catching, uh, receiving, you know, everything. He, he was a, just a great, complete football player. So, and he was productive. He was insanely productive over a six-year period. But, I mean, even before his uh, great run started in 2013, I mean, he was pretty good from 2010 through 2012. And he was also incredibly clutch, right? I mean, people – you know, I think a lot of times when, when a player betrays a team like he betrayed the Steelers and their fans and the media, we tend to just convict them based on the last thing that they did. You know, he, he was a jerk on his way out, so we're never going to acknowledge his greatness. But this guy w- was an absolute clutch football player. I mean, time and time again, starting in his rookie year when when he was just a nobody. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders was in those days, he was expected. He was the third round pick in twenty in the twenty ten draft. Sanders, Manny Sanders, he was really expected to be the guy that was going to win out in that duel between the two of them. The the, the two pups, one bone thing that uh, Mike Tomlin had going on with those guys back then. It was supposed to be Emmanuel Sanders. He was the higher draft pick, but Antonio Brown was, you know, all, you know, even back then, he was clutch. The, uh, the 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 helmet catch on third and nineteen in the divisional round against the uh, the Ravens in twenty ten, and then of course the following week the 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 the, the, uh, the big catch on third down and six that clinched the trip to the Super Bowl and the AFC Championship game against the Jets. It clinched the, the their uh, their AFC champion uh, their their conference title. So he was clutch all the way back then, and he continued to be clutch all the way throughout his career. The immaculate const- uh, extension, the um, the that the, even a couple of years ago against the Bengals that that play some people say it was an illegal pick but whatever <laughs> it was a great play I can go on and on and on the 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 uh, the game against the Packers a few years ago with the the, the incredible sideline catch that set up the the uh, game winning uh, field goal by Chris Boswell the fifty yard field goal uh, the catch and touchdown against the Chiefs. Again, I can just I, there's probably so many that I'm I'm missing. I mean, he was he was just a clutch performer for them. So to suggest that a guy like that prevented a team from winning the Super Bowl, again, it's just silly. You know, um, the reason why they they didn't win titles in in that era is because they weren't as good as people thought they were, right? They weren't. You know, a lot of people. You know, at the time we kind of knew the Steelers of the mid 2010s were a team that was essentially propped up by Ben, Bell, and Brown, the killer bees, and a good offensive line. They had a hell of an offense. But the defense was suspect. We knew this at the time. But we look back on that and we say, you know, I've, I've seen people and I've heard people say things like, you know, they had such a, you know, the, the best roster in the league, and yet they underachieved. You know, Tom had all this talent to work with, and they underachieved. No, that's not, that's not what was going on back then. What was going on back then is they were an incomplete football team, one that was again carried by three or four individuals on offense, and you know they could have they could have gone further than they did. You know, I mean, they, had they not been screwed in the uh, Jesse James game against the Patriots, they get the number one seed. Who knows? Maybe they go to the Super Bowl. But uh, you know, when you look at look at how 
average that defense was prior to 20, really 20, really last year, the defense didn't really become anything until last year, but it started to become better in 2017 with, you know, with the, um, with them uh, becoming a really proficient at getting after the quarterback, but like 2014, 2015, 2016, I mean, they, you know, they, they, they weren't getting after the quarterback. They weren't able to stop anybody on third down. They weren't, they weren't able to take the football away. That didn't start until last year. You know, they were averaging 18, 19 takeaways a game for, for almost a decade, or I'm sorry, a season, not a game, a season. So, you know, that's why, that's ultimately why they didn't uh, win championships in, in those years, not because of Brown being toxic or, or, or Bell being toxic or any of that other stuff that people like to point to. They just didn't win because they weren't good enough, ultimately. I think I could, I, we could look back on that and, and admit that. And also, they had a lot of bad luck with injuries. You know, obviously, Shazier in 2017. Um, uh, on Bell, they lost him in the playoffs in 2016. He was on a great run, setting record after record in the playoffs. And then he, he gets hurt against the Patriots, and it ruins their whole game plan. 2015, they lost Bell and D'Angelo Williams. Uh, they lost Brown in the playoffs. Ironically enough, it was his injury that, that led to them beating the Bengals in a wild card game. And but he obviously couldn't play against the uh, the Broncos the following week in the divisional round. And and you know his absence, I'm sure, didn't help. And in 2014, they lost Bell, the last regular season game of the year against the Bengals. Going into the playoffs, he was their meal ticket that year. Le'Veon Bell. So. They had a lot of bad luck with injuries, and they just weren't a complete football team because they they had they, they their defense they were they were in transition for years trying to trying to make their defense dominant again after the uh, the Super Bowl era from two thousand four through two thousand ten when they had some of the greatest defenses ever under Dick LeBeau. So I think that was really why they they uh, they lost. It wasn't because of of locker room chemistry, you know. I mean that helps, but I think ultimately, as we found out last year, when you're missing a lot of talent, that's the that's the that's the key. You know, you give me as I as I've written about before, you give me 53 Antonio Browns with all of his troubles, complete with all of his troubles, you're probably going to win a lot of games and maybe even a couple of championships. You give me 53 guys who aren't that talented but have great heart, maybe they overachieve uh, every now and then, but they're probably not going to win. You know, so those are all the topics I had today, and um, I. Uh, now I'll, I'll scroll through the uh, live chat and see if you have any questions to see if I missed any. And by the way, I, as I, I have to apologize every week because every, every Saturday, because I can't really follow up live chat while I'm talking. I just, I just can't do that. I'm not, I'm not that proficient at it yet, but let's see. Here's one from Donald Nolan. Great question. What if they kept Sanders over Brown? Does that change our playoffs or Super Bowl run? No, I think I think Brown was a better player than Emmanuel Sanders by far. I mean, I, I just as I as I said, I, I think Antonio Brown was a premier receiver of his day. Emmanuel Sanders was and has been really good, but he never achieved the levels of of of, of Brown. And a lot of people, I just want to touch on one thing. I missed. I I wanted to bring it up, but I I, I missed it. People like to use the argument that big Ben made Brown. And of course he did, but Jerry Rice had two hall of fame receivers throwing him the football throughout his career. Right. I mean, it's just, uh, it's hard to have a, a, a great receiver 
and not have a great quarterback throwing him the football. It's just, it's hard to have one without the other. So yeah, Brown benefited from Big Ben, from, from Ben Roethlisberger, but a lot of great receivers throughout history benefited from having great quarterbacks throwing the football. Raymond Barry had Johnny Unitas. I mean, all the way back, back then. So it's, it's, it's not, I don't think that's a slight, I don't think that's something we can use against Brown that he had a Hall of Fame quarterback throwing him the football because most receivers benefit from that. Let's see what else we have here. Who think, here's one from, from, I'm sorry if I'm having trouble. Uh, Azetic Noble, who thinks that Johnson will overtake the number one spot? A lot of people do. A lot of people do. A lot of people are high on Deontay Johnson based on last year. I mean, he really, he really uh, showed out last year in his rookie year. I mean, he did a great job uh, considering the quarterback play and the fact that, you know, Juju was, was, was uh, struggling with injuries. And of course, I'm sure Deontay Johnson benefited from the fact that Juju had faced a lot of double teams week in and week out. But yeah, for a guy that was, ironically enough, a guy that was compare, compared to Brown as far as his skill set coming into the league, he looked a lot like Antonio Brown last year. And, you know, if he, um, if his game continues to evolve to the point where he's that good of a football player, that good of a receiver, then, then I think it's inev- inevitable that he takes over the number one spot uh, ahead of Juju. But I mean, again, in today's, you can, you can define a number one receiver in, in so many different ways. Is it, is it the fact that he's an X or a Y or a Z, or is it just in terms of production? Is he the number one guy that they go to? Like Heinz Ward, uh, throughout his, his career, he was best suited as a slot receiver, but he was the Steelers' number one guy as far as who they went to. I mean, there was no question when it was third and four, third and five, third and eight, whatever, who Ben was looking for. And it was Heinz Ward more often than not. And he was the guy that Ben was looking for, but he was never, he wasn't a traditional number one guy, you know? So in terms of, of, of status, will Johnson ever overtake that number one spot? I don't know. In terms of, 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 um, of production. I mean, the, the talent's certainly there for him to do that. There's no question. So let's see. Here is one from, here's a comment from Ezra. Folks, we need to re-sign Juju. He's a stud of 23 that had a bad year with backup quarterbacks. We will regret letting Juju walk. And I tend to agree with that. I love Juju. I'm a big Juju supporter. I've, I've, uh, I've been a fan of his ever since. I love his personality. I love the fact that he's involved with the community. And of course, I love the fact that he was, <coughs> excuse me immensely uh, productive over his first two years, you know, and he did, uh, he was a victim of circumstance last year with the, the uh, quarterback play, you know, and, and like letting him walk may, may be a big mistake, but as I mentioned earlier with the salary cap, it, it might be out of their hands, you know, and we discussed this a few months ago right after the draft, even with a $215 million salary cap, trying to, pay uh, Juju that kind of money when you have uh, three other really good young receivers. Do you want to spend that much money on, on a number one receiver when you have, when you have a Deontay Johnson who looks like he's, he's primed to be a superstar. When you have a James Washington who really uh, again, his, his 2019 campaign, I think is being totally underrated and overlooked. I think he had a, for as much as he struggled in his rookie year of 2018, he really, 
showed me a lot last year, despite the problems with the offense and the quarterback play and et cetera, et cetera. And of course you have Chase Claypool who looks like he could, he has an opportunity to be a stud in the league someday soon. So uh, it might just be a matter of him being too expensive. And if you're a, a team like the Steelers with a, with a, a Super Bowl window that might finally be shut in a couple of years when you have, if you have Ben retiring, maybe you want to start over. Maybe you don't want to pay a guy like uh, Juju, what, $120, $130 million, whatever it would be, the total sum of a contract. I don't know what number one guys you're making right now, number one receivers, but do you want to pay a guy like that that much money when you're, when you're kind of rebuilding? You know, So it might not be a matter of them letting him walk. It might just be a matter of them – First of all, not being able to uh, to do anything about it because they don't have enough room under the cap with this with this uh, decrease in revenue. And number two, they might just say say, look, we're we're, we're going to rebuild. I, I just watched the uh, all ten episodes of the the Last Dance, the uh, the documentary of the ninety seven ninety eight Bulls team. They were going for their uh, their sixth title, and in eight years, and they and they won. And instead of just um, moving forward. They, they just got too, everybody got too expensive. Of course, Jordan was Jordan. They were never going to not pay him, but guys like Scottie Pippen and Steve Kerr, et cetera, et cetera. They just, they were just too expensive and they decided to just blow it all up. You know, of course they haven't been the same since maybe with, you know, had they known what they know now, maybe they would have tried to keep that team together for a few more years, but they had a great run. So uh, maybe, you know, they just decide that they're going to, when, when Ben does retire, they're just going to totally rebuild and go in a different direction and hopefully find a, a, re, a replacement of quarterback sooner rather than later and, and, and build around him with, with younger, less expensive talent. You, you just, you just don't know. And there's one from doc holiday. The, the, uh, this is a comment you can make every year, but especially next year, because it's, 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 it's really going to be really going to be strapped. The Steelers have to work on the cap. Don't get much bang for their buck always strapped. Yeah. And I mean, they're strapped this year at 198 million. So you can only imagine what it's going to look like next year. Here's Brian. Here's a comment from Brian Delaney. I really think Juju could settle for a little less with the connection he has, he has made with the people in Pittsburgh. I mean, that's, that's, that's a, a good point, but it all depends on how much less, I mean, is he going to settle for, for that much, less than he can make on the open market. I mean, there, there are hometown discounts and then there are hometown discounts. And, you know, if the Steelers really lowball him on an offer, not because they want to, but because they have to, then he's just, he's probably just going to walk because I think, you know, these guys have to make the money while they can, you know, and it, and it seems weird to say because, it, you know, they're making so much money as it is, but when you have a, a chance to, to, to maximize your earning potential, on your second contract, that's what usually when players are able to make their most money. And, you know, he's probably going to try to try to get as much as he can, because, you know, you never know when you're, when your next, your last game's going to be right. So let's see here. <laughs> well, here's one. Here's another one from Ezra comment. Dare I say, pull a charger move and let Ben go after 2020 like they did Rivers, save money, sign the young studs, get a quarterback in free agency, or or Fields in the draft. I guess that's I guess Fields is a uh, is a um, 
a stud a college quarterback. I I don't I don't know much about him at this point, but but that's you know again if you if you do decide to let Ben walk after this year, I mean how much or not walk is I mean he's a he would still be under contract. You would have to cut him, and how much would he cut? How much would how much dead money would would count against the cap? Right, that's that's the thing you have to worry about, and and it's not something that that a lot of teams tend to do. But hey. You never know if he struggles this year. If 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 he looks like he doesn't have it, maybe they move on from him after this year. Especially considering they're they're going to have to make a lot of tough. It looks like they're going to have to make a lot of tough decisions next next off season based on the salary cap. So that's pretty much all I have for you guys today. And 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 I uh, as always, I appreciate you uh, joining me. And uh, again, I want you to. Tune in Monday afternoon at five o'clock or Monday evening, I should say, at five o'clock with Brian and myself for for Steelers Q&A, followed by the retro show. Um, Until then, have a great weekend. Take care, everybody.